Hi, I'm Scott Ferguson, Managing Editor for News at Information Security Media Group. And we're speaking today with Jeff Green. He is the Director of NIST's National Cybersecurity Center for Excellence. And we're going to be talking about virtual meeting security at a time when more and more employees are working from home. Jeff, thanks for joining me today. Great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Jeff, over the last two weeks, the workforce has shifted to home offices, and that's meant the amount of video conferencing has skyrocketed. When it comes to securing those meetings, what are many organizations lacking as far as virtual meeting policies? And do these companies even have these policies in place? So my brutally honest answer is I'm not 100% sure how many companies have the policies. I, I can tell you from my own experience, the way this issue came about as something that we were focusing on was uh, talking with some folks at work about three three or so weeks ago as, as things were changing. We talked about how the workforce would change. And, and uh, I started thinking about how many times in my previous life I reused a conference call number or, or had someone jump in on the next call as the previous one was ending. So I asked around a few friends in different industry and government and everyone had a pretty similar reaction, which is that there aren't a lot of people who really focus on the security of their conference calls. So I think the answer is probably not too many organizations have policies specific to WebEx's conference calls, virtual meetings, and even those that do, there's probably not a lot of visibility or awareness that, that they have them. So if this is such a green field for security, what would some of the essential elements of a policy look like, especially now that we're almost at 100% work from home? I think the biggest thing, um, I mean, the goal of any security policy that's going to be a security tool that's going to be really effective is got to be ease of use, because once you started making, start making security too much of a burden, people just won't follow it. So it is, it's really important to be thinking about the policy as you're creating one from the perspective of the end user, keeping it relatively simple to read. You don't want 10 pages on virtual meeting security and think about how people use the tools. My mother was an English teacher and she always told me to write to the lowest common denominator as long as I was keeping my, continuing to make my, my key point. And I think that should be true here. In terms of the pieces that you should have in it, um, first is, is trust in people, um, but really making sure people are aware of the risk. And think about your virtual meetings, your con calls, uh, the way you do any data. A tiered approach is what we would suggest, um, low, medium, high. Then you apply the different security uh, uh, layers depending upon the sensitivity of the meeting you're going to be discussing. And it's also going to depend upon what tools your organization has in place to have these virtual virtual meetings. Um, so you're going to have to tailor it to that and make sure that, that in fact, what you want to do is available and that people have the, the opportunity. Biggest thing from my perspective is know the risks you're taking. And by that, I mean, if you're going to reuse the conference call number, if you're going to record a meeting, if you're going to share a screen, make sure that's all a conscious choice. It's not things that we're doing uh, by default. You, know, you want to knowingly assume whatever risk you take on. If you have limited time or resources, I would suggest focusing initially on the most sensitive of the calls. Some suggestions there are, and the most obvious is don't reuse a conference call number. If you think about how many times you've sent an invite out uh, to meetings uh, for people both inside and outside of your organization, you don't want to be using that one on a very sensitive uh, business or company call. Use a dashboard to see who's on. A lot of services will have a green room or a waiting room, so you can actually admit people individually to control who's in there. You can lock the call on a lot of them once you have everyone you want. I mentioned recording a moment ago, if you're going to record it, make sure that recording is encrypted. Uh, know if it's stored locally or in the cloud. And if it's going to be in the cloud, it might not be held or by your provider. Know how long you're going to hold it. For the really most sensitive meetings, you can look into multi-factor authentication. Again, uh, sticking with the sensitive side, one-time pins 
identifiers or codes, I think, are essential. And you can also, through some services, distribute a personalized link that only that one person uh, can join from. At the other end of the spectrum, if it's truly a routine or not a sensitive call, probably okay if you're reusing a number. But again, be aware of what you're doing. Last thing I'd say on that is, is we put out a blog. If people look up NIST Cyber Insight, you can find a blog we did on remote virtual meeting security. And there is a graphic in there that has 12 or 15 different security options that will walk you through from our suggested steps from low to medium to high. You can pick and choose. You don't have to follow our order, but it gives you a sense of what the options are potentially and how you might want to apply them. And, and what makes the 100% remote workforce that much more difficult to secure? What advice are you giving out to security pros who are coming to you and asking you, how can, how can I make this uh, more, more secure? The hardest thing can, is the sheer volume that you have coming in and the difficulty in pushing out new policies and enforcing it when there's no means to get everyone together. Like almost anything when you're trying to track more people, more issues, it's harder to do. Um, the old adage is if you try to secure everything, you'll secure nothing. So again, that, that leads you towards focus on the most secure information, the most sensitive information. You got to be aware, again, when you have this many people online, two things. Some services are getting overloaded. Make sure that they have the bandwidth to do what you want to do. And this is where the reuse of numbers. If, you, if your organization has a set number of call-ins or WebEx links or whatever, uh, you're more likely to have someone else jumping on by accident or in the middle or at the end if there are more people trying to use them at once. So the, the sheer numbers alone make it harder to manage. One of the best mitigations is if it's available you to make sure that everyone has their own personalized login. Even if it's a reused personalized login, that at least prevents two different people from the same part of your business trying to use the same one at the same time. Jeff, what are some of the non-negotiable security must-haves for remote networks and personal devices during this time of more and more virtual meetings? So again, I would I would start with the sensitivity of the information you're talking about. But if we're going more towards the, the higher sensitivity, the using a unique access code and PIN, curating and managing who is on the call, who's on the online, be really careful about recordings and who has access to them and who has the encryption key. With respect to the devices and the networks, if you're connecting from your home network, make sure that you have good Wi-Fi security enabled with a good password. And one thing that's often overlooked is make sure that your router is patching and updating itself because router vulnerabilities are unfortunately common and can be devastating to any device connected to your, your home network if you, have, if you have a vulnerability there. And the same thing with your devices. If it's a company device, hopefully they have rules set in place for keeping it patched and updated. But if it's a personal device, again, you want to make sure that you are applying all the latest security patches and other tools available. Most compromises, most attacks out there are taking advantage of existing known vulnerabilities vulnerabilities. And if you're taking care to keep your devices up to date, you're going to be pretty safe from them. You know, the old adage is if you're being chased by a bear, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than the next guy. And if you're keeping all your devices in, in the most up-to-date, secure state, you're going to be faster than most of the people, and, and the bad guys are going to end up moving on to someone else. Jeff, what you said about routers was kind of interesting, because what other specific security threats, if any, should you be watching for since we're in the middle of the COVID-19 quarantine? So beyond the, the specifics of, of the virtual meetings we've talked about, unfortunately, criminals and scammers flock to any event of national significance and use that in a variety of ways. I think you need to be a 
uh, most people have probably, probably already seen, perhaps unknowingly, scam emails, uh, seeking money or giving something to charity, distribution of bad links that could take you to some malware through those types of, of uh, communications. I think the one of the biggest that you'll see is an increase in phone support scams because uh, bad guys are going to know that more people are at home. And for folks unfamiliar with that, you'll get a phone call, literally like a landline or a cell phone uh, cell line thing. We're from major tech provider X. We're calling because your computer is compromised. Please go to the following website where we can perform a scan. I can't see my air quotes, but you can perform a scan. And what you're doing then is giving, taking your computer to a malicious website, and, and then the scammers will often have you change settings that will allow them to access your computer and sometimes maybe even ask you to pay to, to uh, clean, again, air quotes, your computer. I think we'll see a big uptick in them. Uh, on the business side, there's a, a very lucrative kind of scam called a business email compromise, where criminals will, will spoof an email appearing to come from a senior person in a company to somebody who has the ability to transfer money saying, hey, this is an emergency, send $10,000 to this wire transfer or something along those lines. They're extraordinarily successful in the normal state and the FBI has done several public reports on, on business email compromises. But now with everyone physically disconnected, I think the success rate of those unfortunately is probably likely to go up. But with, with any scam, your best defense is your own instinct. Something just doesn't feel right, pause. And let's say that, you know, I'm probably as paranoid about these things as most folks, at least once a year, if not more often, as my fingers coming off the button, I realize I've clicked on something I should immediately then try to mitigate and figure out if I actually did something wrong. Don't freak out, just to take care to make sure that there is, uh, that you're mitigating anything that did happen, but really trust your instincts and pick up the phone more. Uh, and that, that's the biggest thing that can eliminate the business email compromise is actually call the person and, and verify. But I think we're definitely going to see and I saw some stats from one of the major security providers earlier today, something like a 40% increase in scams over the past few weeks. That's uh, good advice for end users. Um, when we're talking about security leaders and at video conferencing and the new security uh, paradigm that we're in, um, how can they make sure that their policies are being followed appropriately by this remote workforce? So that is most likely going to be pretty specific to the service that you are going through your organization or services. So my recommendation there would be to go in from the management side with your provider, see what type of uh, tools they have and what both in terms of what security you can force and also how they provide an ability to monitor to see that things are used. I know some providers are set up so that you can actually force um, users in every situation to have a unique meeting or call-in number. That's one way you avoid reuse. Keep in mind, though, that gets in the way of usability, and that's really important, um, as I said, because you don't want people to come up with their own workarounds if they don't like the way the organization is set up. You know, my my instinct would be, again, at least make sure people make a choice to, to either reuse a number or create a PIN. And, you know, set examples as a security leader, make sure that you are following your own policies. Last thing that comes to mind is particularly for, I think the way I started is I wasn't even aware whether my old organization had a virtual meeting security policy. If you have one, socialize it, distribute it, ask people to review it, maybe ask them to sign off and distribute it in an easy to read format. If you send out five pages, people are going to check the box and not do it. If you send out you know, 10 bullets in an email or a PDF, you're much more likely to have people being aware of it. 
So, you know, awareness and, and empowering the user is going to be key. But again, the biggest thing I would say is check with your provider and see what they make available to you. And then you can select the tools that you think are most appropriate for your organization. You, you mentioned just something really interesting there. It's almost the return of shadow IT, folks from home trying to make sure that they can work and get stuff done. And I'll just download this to make sure I can do my job. I mean, are you kind of seeing that creeping back up into conversations as, as we're going along? I can just speak from personal experience. I set up a, a free account with an online meeting so I could have virtual happy hours with my fellow hockey parents and other friends out there. It's been a great way to connect. I, I have not to date used it for a work meeting, but I would bet if you could do a, a, a poll of any large organization over the past week, you'd find a significant number of people who are using their own you know, free or, or even paid services that may not be company uh, or organization approved. So I don't have data and NIST is a data-driven organization, but my gut tells me that you're onto something there. We appreciate that, Jeff. Thanks so much. And, and thank you for joining us today and talking about video conferencing in this new world that we're living in. No problem. Happy to do it.